All right, we're on page 15, okay? And we're going to continue. But I want to talk a little bit today about just motivation in sharing your faith. We have some seats up here, Heather, sorry. Oh, you can sit, you can sit towards the back if you want. Um, yeah, last week, well, last time we got together, we kind of talked about how when we share the gospel, it's very important that we present, present God for who he is, right? But the gospel is not about you. It's not about you feeling better and you getting what you want and what you need. I mean, the gospel is about being in a right relationship with God and honoring God, right? And so we want to bring people to that point. And to do that, we need to conduct our gospel presentation in a way that is motivated by uh, what we call a high view of God, right? So when I say high view of God, I mean, what do we mean by that? Somebody want to give a shot? High view of God. What's meant by that? Gabe. Did you, you, you asked the question, what yeah. high view of God? What is a high view of God? Yeah. Um, that's our relation to God, I think, where yeah. he is high and we are not. Yeah. We are under his authority, right? And, and when we share the gospel with people, ultimately we want them to have the high view of God where they under the Lord's authority and they reconcile with God on, on his terms, Okay. So when you look at motivating us for evangelism, one of the primary motivations for evangelism is simple obedience, okay? We share our faith because God calls us to do it. And so we'll look at some of these passages. So you look at the two greatest commandments, and um, you guys can read it, but just from this passage, I mean, what are the two greatest commandments? The first is to... God. I think is a page off. Okay. So we're on glorifying God of Jesus. 15 in mine. It might be different in yours. Top of 16. Top of 16. Okay. Well, I guess you guys might have 2.0. I have 1.0. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, um, so the first one is to do what? Is to love the Lord your God, right, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we'll talk about the the second one later on. But so loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's um, could be kind of abstract, but how does God want us to apply that? Okay, I've got a couple passages here to help you guys cheat on question two. How do you apply that single greatest command? Obedience. Yeah, it's obedience, right? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. He um, and his commandments are not burdensome, right? So if you love God, you'll obey his commands. That's obedience is God's love language. Okay? Now according to the following passages, what commands are included that the single grace commandments? And we'll have somebody read these out loud. Who wants to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Ryan, all right, free coffee for you. Thank you. <laughs> And who wants to read first? Oh, and then who's going to get Acts 1, 6 through 8? Okay, go ahead, Ryan. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Okay, so what's the, what's the single command in that passage? Just make disciples, right, of all nations. And you, you kind of break it down, it's by going, by uh, baptizing, and by teaching them all that I commanded. But the primary one is you go make disciples and the scope is all nations, okay? Acts uh, 1, 6 through 8, who has that one? So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, mm -hmm. the which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Okay. So what's the, the sense of that command? Mission. Yeah. You shall be my, my witnesses. Witnesses of what? 
seen and heard. Which seen and heard, right? Of his ministry, resurrection, and there's also the, the promise of divine power uh, to do so. Okay, so it's the last words, the last words of Jesus before he's taken up into heaven is a commission to go to all nations. Okay? So here's a key point. We love God by obeying his commandments, and this includes obeying the direct commands to share the gospel. We also see that our love of God will incline us to share the gospel for his sake. So, on one hand, obedience is kind of shown, you know, as God's love language, but I think there's another element of, of sharing the gospel, too. Does anybody want to read Psalm 96, uh, 1 through 6 for me? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Mm-hmm. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Thunder and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Yeah. So what's, I mean, he's obviously singing to the Lord, but notice, tell of his glory among the nations. You know, why do you think he, he's writing that and penning that? What's kind of driving that? Yeah, I mean, you guys ever, like you go to a restaurant that's just awesome, right? You really love it, has best ribs you've ever had in your life, or we'll say best salads you've ever had in your life. (laughs) Right here in Emporia, Kansas, okay? I'm not stereotyping here. Lots of women love ribs, lots of men love salads. Um, But what are you going to do when you have that? What's going to be the... What's the natural response? Share it. Share it, right? You you really if you you love this, this is the greatest thing ever. You'd want other people to know about it, right? So sometimes evangelism is not just cold hard obedience, but that's why like you ever notice that new Christians are some of the best evangelists? Why do you think that is? They're excited. They're excited? They still have lots of contacts who are not Christians. Yes, they still have lots of contacts. Yeah. Such a newness of life. Yeah. Peace, newness of life, uh-huh. forgiveness that you just experienced. And yeah. Want to share that? Yeah. I once was lost, but now I'm I'm found. Right. You know, there's just an, a joy that comes with it, and and sometimes with new Christians, um, you don't have to say, you know, the Bible actually commands you to share your faith. They, that's, oh yeah, of course it does, right? But they don't need to be commanded because they have that natural um, affection, you know, for the gospel. Does that make sense? And, and then here's another factor that kind of drives it. Second um, Corinthians 5, 11, and 14. Jessica, you want to read that for me? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So what motivates um, Paul to share his faith in this passage? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. So fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it compels him, right? So what's meant by fear of the Lord? Let's talk about what it doesn't mean, right? What are some characters <coughs> of fear of the Lord that aren't necessarily true? teacher, you know, with the long rod, you know, he kind of taps, waiting for somebody not to pay attention, then just strikes them on the hand, right? <laughs> I mean, usually that character is like a nun, right? So that's like fear of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen the movie, right? 
Yeah, so it's not necessarily something where he's a, we're to be afraid of him, like share the gospel or else, right? So what is meant by fear of the Lord? <clears throat> Great reverence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a respect, like you, uh, fear of like disappointing or not, you know, living up to yeah. those expectations. preacher was preaching that day and we kind of had like the communion rotation as well and I was um, given the task of leading the communion uh, that Sunday with the famous preacher in the audience and I was pretty nervous <laughs> right because I have such respect for this preacher that I was like fumbling over my words and oh man I sure hope I get this right you know what I'm saying where I'm not necessarily afraid of him but there's like this deep desire to want to impress him because I just have such respect for him. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're afraid, but it's more like a deep desire to revere and want to, want to please. And so, um, yeah, here's a quote. The fear of the Lord is a fear which uh, constrains, compels, or powerfully produces adoration and love. It is a fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, worship, and all of these on the highest level of exercise. It is a reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent and majesty of the holiness of God. So how does a deep desire, how does a fear of the Lord uh, lead to a deep desire to share our faith? It brings you to action. Okay. So it's not uh, sit back and hope it happens. But if you fear the Lord, it brings you to Obey him and go to action of doing it. Yeah. That's good. There's multiple answers to this, by the way. So if somebody has a real fear of the Lord, <coughs> truly manifest in their life, why would that lead to just kind of like a, a desire and drive to share their faith? I think if you truly fear the Lord, you understand the consequences of being opposed to him. And you also mm. have a desire to love his people and therefore want others to avoid that mm -hmm. condemnation that could occur if they were to be opposed to the Lord. Yeah. I like that. You're almost afraid for people. <laughs> yeah. If you're afraid Caution for them. Tale. <laughs> yeah. I, I That's think good. Romans 3, you know, lists all the bad sins mankind and then it says because they have no fear of God mm -hmm. there is no fear mm -hmm. it's just the opposite of what we should have Yeah, we have a reverence for him because we know who he is mm -hmm. and there's consequences Yeah. yeah. so okay. to save them from their consequences too mm -hmm. hell is a very Terrible eternal place, place that yeah. you can't escape yeah there's kind of a, an irony where those who fear God don't need to be afraid of God. And those who don't fear God should be afraid of him. Does that make sense? <coughs> Other thoughts on how the fear of the Lord kind of compels us to share our faith? When you, you know, the, that deep um, awe and reverence and adoration that you have and that you know, talked about with the fear of the Lord, it, it gives you this desire to want what he wants to know that that's mm -hmm. his will is the absolute best will and so not only for the desire to please him but knowing that sharing the gospel sharing the truth of um, mm -hmm. salvation is the best possible thing yeah for anyone uh, and yeah. it's um, so it's kind of like you can be sharing it for their good but it's it's not separate from that's because that's what God wants for us yeah that's good so when we look at the first primary commandment, right, honoring the Lord, fearing the Lord, loving the Lord, obedience to the Lord, all of that, that needs to be the prime motivator um, for sharing your faith, okay? But there's another motivator too, right? What's the second greatest command? First one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is to 
Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so, how does Paul express his love for his neighbors? This is, I think, one of the most convicting passages in the Bible, Romans 9 3. Somebody want to read that for me? Okay, so what's Paul saying there? I'd give up my salvation to have the Jews saved. Yeah. Yeah. And how are the Jews treating Paul? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not great. Beating the out of him from town to town. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, they were terrible to him. And yet here he says, and what's interesting is the buildup is he says, God is my witness. He basically like takes an extra oath because the statement is so unbelievable. He says, I'd be willing to go to hell for these people. Right? I mean, how did the knowledge of Israel's fate affect Jesus in Luke 19.41? Somebody want to read that for me? When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Okay. How did it impact Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, so there, there is a sense where, um, right, people need the Lord, right? And, and I would say that probably one of the easiest ways to motivate people, right? Do you guys remember that Steve Green song? Well, none of you younger people do. People need the Lord, right? And it's kind of a, well, think early 80s. You'd probably find it hokey now, but when they're showing it at a conference and you have all these starving people in Africa, people who are diseased and sick and they're playing it, you know, people need the Lord. I mean, you're just kind of losing it, thinking about the fate of all these unsaved people, right? I don't know what the equivalent would be now, but, um, you know, that's a really easy way to kind of motivate people, right? But why does that motivation need to be secondary? to the primary motivation of honoring the Lord. Because your primary motivation is honoring the Lord, not people. Yeah. You have to still understand that people need him without placing their well-being over your honor for him. Yeah. Now, what would be some temptations? If you make that people need the Lord, and that's your driving motivation for sharing your faith, what might be some temptations that come along with that? You may withhold parts of the truth that are difficult to hear that you think might push them away. Okay. So you'll make it more palatable, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, the goal might be to maybe kind of lower the threshold of what people need to believe or understand to be saved. Kind of broaden the umbrella a bit. Yeah. I think it's dangerous to enter into something like that with primary motivation being for others with if you're not focusing on being um, pleasing God first and um, honoring him then you can enter almost a state of self-righteousness if you're not careful and that that would be very that would be bad to, okay you know is that did I adequately try to try it again yeah sorry um well, self-righteousness from the aspect that you could um, um, you could say you need the, the gospel mm-hmm. to be saved and salvation but if okay. you're not so you're making more about them than on yeah, the Okay. and you're overlooking gotcha. your own um, stick in your eye okay. so they could still be me-centered yeah. because it was about them getting out of hell not on that's anymore. why I think it would be okay. dangerous that's good. To kind of piggyback on that, you could also start to think that other people's salvation is dependent on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not yeah. That's a, that's a huge that's a huge burden. Huge burden. Right. And and what I found is like you know the people need the Lord technique is true, but if it's not balanced with the other part, it leads to kind of a short term ministry that could lead to burnout because I think ultimately what it does is that um, it will morph the way you share the gospel and, and this will come out 
when we talk about the goal of the gospel presentation, okay? And so, um, let me go ahead and, uh, yeah, we'll go to 2 Corinthians 2, um, chapter 2, 14 through 17, okay? And I got the passage here. Someone want to read this passage? Aiden, can you get this? 2, 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests us through the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma of death to death, and to the other, an aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Okay. So it's kind of talking about two realities, right? There's kind of a contrast here. You know, the, you have a contrast between what? The, the, what? Yeah, they're not peddlers, right? But what they're going around is they are the, you know, fragrance of life, right, to those who are being saved, but the aroma of death to those who are being condemned. And Paul's drawing upon um, some vivid imagery, because he's talking about something called a Roman triumph. And Roman triumph were like, a triumph was like a generational celebration, where if some Roman general won some huge battle, you guys ever seen Ben-Hur? Right, the, the admiral wins this huge sea battle, well, that person would get a, a triumph. And so what they would do is they'd have a parade in the middle of Rome. And this was like a big deal. They would erect scaffolding and all this other stuff. And, and this parade uh, would have like rolling stages where they would reenact certain battle scenes. They would parade the prisoners. They would parade the captive king. And they would parade the general. And they would throw all this incense in the air. There'd be flowers in the air. And so there's quite a contrast, right? Where if you are a captive and you smell that fragrance, right, what are you anticipating? Right, when they're done with the parade, they're going to be done with you, right? You're, you're being condemned. But for somebody who is a victor, Right, who's on the right side, you know, for even the audience celebrating the glory of Rome, when they smell that flower and that incense, what are they thinking? Right, it's victory. And so he kind of likens the gospel to this aroma that when it goes out, for some people, it reminds them of their condemnation. It's the smell of death. And for other people, it's the fragrance of life. Okay, so same message, same scent, two different responses, and two different ways of interpreting the smell. Okay, so um, so we'll kind of talk about why is why would some people interpret it as the fragrance of life, and how would that glorify God? Yeah, the fragrance of life, people who see it, what are they in the process of becoming? I guess I'll answer. I guess being that's saved. Being saved, thank you, right? So how does um, seeing people get saved glorify God? Why is that a glorious conclusion to a gospel presentation? How does the... We want to worship her. Yeah. Who was previously an opponent... Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody's been redeemed. There's going to be another soul in heaven that's going to worship God forever, right? It's a demonstration of renewing, redeeming power of God, right? It shows that Christ did not die for nothing, right? So I think we can go down the list. Like, it's, it's really easy to see the salvation of souls as an easy way of glorifying God, right? But when somebody responds like it's the smell of death, how can that glorify God? And somebody rejects the gospel and says, stop talking to me about this. How is God glorified in that gospel conversation? You think, Cole? 
Well, you've kind of gone from a complete disbelief of God to a fear, I would say almost. Um, transitioning, because at least the thoughts in your head now. Okay. What this could lead to. And so yeah. you, instead of just oblivious, mm-hmm. um, it's going towards avoidance. Okay, avoidance, right. Which you can bring okay. around. So there's a possibility that they might come back around and get saved, but let's say the person never does. You share the gospel with somebody who will never, who rejects it, I don't want to hear about it, and then they die shortly thereafter. God's still glorified in the obedience of the person who shared it. Okay. So God's glorified in the obedience. Yeah, what else? People may not hear something from their final judgment. They won't be able but <laughs> yeah. they, they will not be able to deny the truth. Yeah. And they will say, wow, I was presented this. And I don't want to. Yeah, magnifies God's justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the biggest accusations against God is that he is unjust in judging people who never had a chance, right? Or they were, they were good people, or they would have mm-hmm. if only. And it takes away that accusation. Mm-hmm. And when you share the gospel with someone and you see that response, there's now no doubt in your mind yeah. that they are indeed judged for their sin, yeah. not because they didn't have a chance. Yeah. So it justifies God. Yeah, justifies God. It also mm-hmm. just shows his, his great grace being poured out. It talks about this, this common grace that he pours out the sun rises and the rain falls and mm-hmm. this person never um, never repented but mm-hmm. he still through you you know shared the message of the gospel and the hope of salvation mm-hmm. and they spit in God's face and rejected him yeah. just as they did to Jesus yeah and yeah and you have to keep in mind broad is the road that leads to destruction narrow is a road to lease a life. I mean, our, our expected hall is going to be there'll be more people who will reject the gospel than accept it. You know, that's just the biblical odds, right? I mean, so, I mean, ultimately, I mean, so here's another question. Who's more effective? The missionary faithfully presented the gospel for 30 years and has seen thousands come to Christ through the ministry? Or a missionary who faithfully presented the gospel for 30 years and has only seen five converts? I'll say ministers in Turkey or Spain. Who's more effective? See, neither. Yeah, she caught the trick question, right? (laughs) Yeah. They both were faithful. Mm -hmm. They did what they were called to do. They loved God. They loved God's people. The outcome is the Lord. Yeah. So you don't judge somebody's effectiveness by a number, but by their faithfulness. Yeah. In some ways, you can make a case that a missionary who labored for 30 years with only five converts, that takes a special kind of perseverance. Yeah. It does. So here's a, um, we're going to have you guys take, you know, get a pen. I'm going to ask you a question. So this is a question. What is effective evangelism? Okay. Now, you cannot say effective evangelism is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can answer every question that way, right? But how do you know when you have successfully shared your faith, right? How do you know if your evangelism is effective, if you did what you set out to do, okay? So take a few minutes and kind of write down your thoughts. How would you answer the question, what is effective evangelism?
feel like I need to play some Jeopardy music. about 30 more seconds. Anybody want to give it a shot? <laughs> or maybe what are some possible answers? How would some people answer the question, what is effective evangelism? I just but, but referred back to question four above, but it's just being faithful to witness to the ones God's put in your path to share the gospel with and that the numbers are not important. Okay, good. So you have Brown? Um, I kind of thought it's when you're able to present the gospel or the glory of God without it being muddled by either your flaws or your own strengths so they can see who God is without you being in the way. <laughs> okay, that's good. Other thoughts? Good answers, by the way. You take out a $20 bill. Yes. <laughs> I think it kind of asks a question and then answers in front of it. Does it accurately portray who Jesus is and what he did? And mm -hmm. you say yes. Got it. Will, what do you have? I just wrote, uh, when God opens the door prompted by the Holy Spirit, we're able to clearly and concisely present the true gospel in sincere humility and love for that person, not allowing for the fear of man to hinder, but the fear of God to motivate, and the effectiveness would be if they start asking questions, maybe, and continue a conversation and relationship. Okay, that's excellent. Anybody want to try to top that? <laughs> <laughs> We're not, you know, can you top it? No, not that you can top it. No, I thought that was great. That's great. I think the only thing I would add is that you want to get to the point where the other person knows what they need to do. Yeah to either accept or reject. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I have down, is sharing the gospel in such a way that the hearer can accept or reject it. Right, so they kind of, you bring them to a point where this is what I need to do, because it's been clear. Now what's absent from that definition? What would most people say is effective evangelism? Right. Have to accept. Have to accept, right? Yeah, can you close the deal, right? Can you get more people in church? So let's um, consider some of the pros and cons of um, some of the following answers, right? Effective evangelism occurs when we get the unbeliever to make a decision for Christ. What are some of the pros and cons of that? How would you assess that answer? Well, a con is that it puts uh, the heart change in the hands of man. Mm -hmm. Evangelism, Leslie's thoughts of the world. A successful ministry is a faithful ministry, and oftentimes it does not mean that you'll see the fruit of that. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically in conversion of making a decision to follow Christ on the spot. Yeah. That's good. Other thoughts on uh, the pros and cons of that? I think there's a pro in the sense that there's a sense of urgency that doesn't, yeah. that it doesn't put off, you know, well, whenever you're, you know, it. it Kind of pushes them that you know today's the day of salvation, so there's yeah. a certain spirit in which you want to make it clear that yeah, 
you're not promised tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts? I see that, that if it is the goal to get them to pray the par- prayer, you might lead them through that and give them false assurance mm-hmm. that they really truly want well, yes. to As a young believer, you know, I would just say, okay, just pray this prayer. Just wanted to close the deal. And it was almost like for my sake, right? So that I felt better about where they were, as opposed to their sake, as far as really, you know, did they really understand it? So. And it's, I mean, Jesus, when he had really successful time, he had mm-hmm. lots of crowds following him, then he would turn around and be like, you guys haven't counted the cost yet. Yeah. Go back home, you know? Like, then he would say something like, eat my flesh and drink my blood to chase a bunch of them away. Yeah. So... Jesus purged his followers quite a bit. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Other thoughts on this? And I think it is true. You want to bring people to a point of decision or conversion. Do you know what I'm saying? Where you just kind of throw it out there and hope they get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there is some guidance of this is what you need. Today is the day of salvation. This is what you need to do. And I mean... Wanting someone to get saved, we can all agree, is like a great thing, right? That's a great thing. I mean, we should desire that everybody we share with uh, would convert, right? That would be our hope. And I think there is something to be said where of all the people I could be talking to right now, it's this person in front of me. You know, the Lord has a purpose for this. You know, maybe this is the day of salvation. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Paul talks about knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, right? He obviously is trying to persuade them to do what? To be saved, right? So there is a there's a noble purpose in wanting people to be saved. It's just when we talk about the ultimate purpose, you have to be careful. How about if evangelism happens when unbelievers realize that only Christ can meet their deepest needs? What's your assessment of that? I think it could be a pro if you rightly define what their deepest need is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if their deepest need is to be saved, mm-hmm. then yes. But if it's emotional need or financial need, then, mm-hmm. then you're then it's me centered again. Yeah. Okay. How about this? Effective evangelism occurs when the word of God is shared. Therefore, you spew forth as many Bible verses as they can, or they um, entrust the Holy Spirit to piece it together. Or you, <clears throat> yeah, we told about Jesus today, and then you know, in one minute, you kind of give a quick gospel presentation, and then you think, I share the gospel. What do you think about that? You just got to get the gospel out there and let the Holy Spirit work. There's no depth. Okay. not useful if they can't understand it. Like if you're yes. just throwing whatever at them and hoping something sticks, it's not mm-hmm. useful. Yeah. Darla, were you going to say something? No, no. I'm just listening. Okay. Thanks. Other thoughts on that? I think sometimes there's a balance. I think if you have a method to how you share the gospel, it's important, but obviously you use the computer, so I wouldn't do that. But yeah. Sometimes I'm like on college campuses, you only have 45 seconds to talk yeah. to students on right. class. And so mm-hmm. if you're, you know, I can't share the gospel unless I have 20 minutes to sit down and talk to this person. Yeah. You won't share the gospel very much. And so yeah. I think there's a, a balance between that of being mm-hmm. able to share the gospel effectively, quickly. Yeah. And not, I mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're on an airplane and you see the engines on fire, you might want to speed it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a sense too in which, depending on a lot of the, what you know about the context of who you're sharing with, you want to make sure that the words you're using, like you could share the gospel and totally then hear something totally different than what you said. So yeah. there's a point at which you're asking them if they're understanding clarifying mm-hmm. to, that they're like, 
you know, if you're shouting with a Muslim or a Mormon or whatever, yeah. the, the words that you use, they might be charged with something different. So you okay, and I think that's a very shrewd point, right? I mean, so what does God mean to a Muslim? Mm-hmm. Not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not Jesus, right? Yeah. Or what would God mean to a Mormon? My future. Yeah. <laughs> or believing in Jesus might mean along with everything else that I believe in. Yeah. You know, there's yes. missing out the exclusiveness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so there's certain things where knowing the person you're talking to, taking a minute to, yeah, what is it they believe currently, and how how does yeah. that differ from the gospel? Or what does grace mean to a Catholic? Mm-hmm. And what does faith mean to a Catholic? So yeah, that's why I kind of go back to you know successful evangelism is sharing the gospel in such a way that the unbeliever can accept or reject it. So they understand what they're accepting, or conversely, they understand what they're rejecting. Now, obviously, if you only have 30 seconds, you have to be a steward with what you have. You know, if you if you know if the wall is starting to come up, right? It's like, what truth do you throw over that wall before it shuts, right? <laughs> you you kind of get that in there, and and I think the Holy Spirit can piece some of those things together. And and ultimately, I would say if someone has just like raised the wall and won't even let you talk. Um, that's a pearls before swine situation. And if they were to stand before the Lord and say, I never knew this, nobody ever told me, God would say, listen, you moron. You wouldn't let people talk to you. Mm-hmm. You sense where it was going, you shut it down. And, and I, think, I think we can be faithful and kind of, I wouldn't say discharged, but but we faithfully executed it when we tried to share with somebody and they shut and they immediately shut it down. Yeah. I think also, I mean, I think it, maybe we said this last week, but like if somebody is churched, kind of pre-churched, yeah. it's going to require a different amount of time and et cetera to, you yeah. know, prick the conscience and bring them to an understanding of the gospel. Uh-huh. If someone is completely unchurched, I mean, you're looking at, you might have you and God's people around the world might have 10 separate conversations with this one person before they go, oh, that's Mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even kind of seeing like, where am I maybe in this plan? Like, I might not be the one who brings them to the point where they really understand what they need to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I might be the one who helps them understand you're a made thing and you answer to a creator. Yeah. And you just move them a huge step towards Mm -hmm. understanding the Mm -hmm. gospel, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's where, like, the Word of God does not come back void. And so if you've been faithful to fulfill your step mm-hmm. in the eventual um, bringing that person to an understanding what they need to do to accept or reject, like Andy said, like, you take the time God's yeah. given you and the opportunity God's given you. Yeah. Yeah, the Lord can use that. And, and I would, and I just say that, like, a lot of times we think, I wasn't a faithful watchman because I didn't get the entire gospel in there. And I somehow failed in my duty. And I would say, no, you haven't. I mean, if somebody clearly shuts the door, and they make it clear, and they don't have to say shut up to make it clear. I mean, there could be body language and everything. Um, you know, you, you've done your duty and taken it as far as you can. You just kind of wait for maybe another opportunity if the Lord brings it. Um, but yeah, a lot of times it's, it's clarifying. And so this is what it's not. Like sharing the gospel is not arguing about the existence of God. You know, it's not necessarily arguing about evolution. Right? They can, or even the resurrection. I mean, it's really bringing them a point to a point where they know what it takes to become a believer. Right? That is, that is what you're trying to get them to. And I think when you look at our day and age, like evangelism 20 years ago, I mean, we're, we're in a post Christian America. I remember I was in California and I was talking to these young people. I've seen some street evangelism. And I asked them, do you know who Jesus is? And they honestly had no idea. I mean, that kind of amazing? Like, 15 years ago in L.A., they had no idea who Jesus was. It's like a name like Mussolini. They're like, I don't know. I feel like I should know. I should know, yeah. They don't know, even know who Jesus is. And so that's why evangelism, um, sometimes you have to play the long game more now than before. It's not like they grow up understanding the gospel and the point of attack is whether or not they'll commit to it. It's like, do they even understand who Jesus is? 
And so that's one of the reasons why, I, if I get a chance, I try to take people through something called an investigative Bible study, which is eight lessons that slowly kind of goes through the entire gospel with people so that at the end, they can put all the pieces together. Right? Go ahead. I think one other thing I would add, too, is that we talk about the context, is that if it's someone that you think or are likely to have regular contact with, you can be much more strategic with how much and what you're sharing, how you talk yeah. about it, and revisiting, versus if it's a person that may, you may only see one one time. And, yeah. and even if it's that one time, like Becky said, you know, you're just yeah. a particular link in a long chain of yeah. people that God can use. Yeah, so there's a... Uh, I mean, there's a sense where I think the community is a very important witness for evangelism now. And you can kind of get a few things in. But when you're in a post-Christian culture, it, I think it is possible. Um, and I've known people, John Glass, who spoke at um, the Ascend Camp two years ago, was like traveling hippie. And some street evangelist in Delhi um, basically shared with him a verse and he got saved at that moment and he kind of worked out the details. So I'm not saying that that can't happen. I think it can. You know, I've had some opportunities where some of the street preaching that I did has led, led to um, like real genuine fruit. Um, but I think in general, I think the normative pattern that we should expect is kind of an enduring relationship. And so I don't think, you know, our church is not necessarily designed for unbelievers. But if an unbeliever comes to church and they're willing to kind of endure it, they might not understand the preaching or the singing or anything. All they know is they really like these people and there's something different about them. And, and often that can bring them to a point where they're really willing to sit down and do the investigation and kind of make that commitment. Does that make sense? So I think since we've been here, that's been more of the way that evangelism has, has happened. But by all means, I mean, if you're going down on an airplane or you have like a five minute window you take it, you talk to them, um, but I think you just try to try to keep in mind you want to have an ongoing conversation with these people until they shut it down. Something yeah. else too, it, it's kind of surprising and sometimes you're not sure what to do, but being post-Christian post is like the, the lack of um, exposure to the Bible. So like yeah. the fact that you're sh what you're sharing actually comes from the Bible and what's contained in the Bible. So. Sometimes in conversations, people yeah. have no knowledge what the Bible is, what where it came from. You know, or there's well. an automatic discounting of that as any sort of authority because, yeah, I mean, there's just a suspicion of anything that makes authoritative claims. Yeah. So, so imagine, again, I'm going to just read a list of terms here, okay? Now, I want you to, like Becky and I, we um, did a date a couple Friday nights ago, and then we got... Uh, Excellent gelato at the uh, Sweet Granada, by the way. So there's my evangelistic push. It was awesome. <laughs> but I remember we're kind of walking down um, downtown Emporia because I know we're kind of becoming kind of a touristy area now and trying to see Emporia from the view of an outsider instead of an insider. And it was actually kind of a cool experience. You kind of notice all the murals and all these other things. I was like, okay, I can see why you know, they've kind of done these improvements. A lot of times when we you know, speak Christian, we have insider language that we use, okay? So I want you to do, we're gonna do a little thought experiment, okay? No one needs to, you just think quietly to yourself. But I'm just gonna read these terms that we just kind of throw around, and if you, you've never been to church, you've never read the Bible, you've never hung out with Christians, okay? What would come to your mind when you hear these words? Lost. Saved. Born again. Repent. Justified. Faith. Atonement. Propitiation. Spiritual. Holy. Sin. Salvation, saving faith, redemption, God, the gospel, 
Ask Jesus into your heart, receive Christ. Righteous. Grace. Like when you say gospel to an unbeliever, do you know what they think about? The kind of music. The kind of music. So a lot of times when you're talking to an unbeliever, I think there needs to be an awareness on our part that they may not be getting what we're saying. And so there is a, and you can never assume that, right? So a lot of it is just trying to understand what they believe and trying to explain it to them in terms that they understand. And that's kind of why I have that whole list of, you know, so what does it mean to be lost? What's meant by that? What is redemption? What is atonement? I mean, an unbeliever, I mean, they would have no understanding of atonement at all. Okay, so part of the goal of the gospel is to help them understand these terms. Any questions about this? So we want to honor God, obey God, exalt God, love our neighbors, and then help them to understand it. So that's kind of the driving force behind sharing our faith. Next week, we're going to talk about getting over your fear of evangelism. So college students, uh, just don't be afraid this week, and then I'll tell you why you should. That's <laughs> right. Father, I do thank you for uh, just this time to come together and just talk about this all-important topic. And I pray that you'll give us a God-centered view of how we share our faith, that you'll put people in our life that we can share with. I, I think about Cody and how exhilarating it was for her to talk about uh, the gospel with that coworker. <clears throat> I think about the, the young people who will have opportunities to uh, testify about the hope within them. And I pray that our church will just really be passionate about sharing our faith that will be shrewd and and father it would just be awesome if you just brought some people into our lives who would come to christ and be changed and transformed we pray this in christ's name amen